Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hello, my name is Martin Hamilton and I'm Head of Employment at Capsix Solicitors. And welcome to the latest series of NHS Employers podcasts, broadcast in association with Capstix. And in this series, we will be exploring themes around culture and behaviour in the workplace in healthcare. And in this first broadcast, we will be discussing the thorny topic of bullying and harassment. And I'm joined today by Christina McInnie, who is Head of Healthcare at Unison, which is, of course, the largest union in the NHS. Thank you very much for joining us, Christina. Thank you. Sadly, the question of bullying and harassment does remain a very live issue in the NHS. So with that in mind, Christina, what do you think some of the key issues are here and how can both workforce leaders and union leaders even begin to tackle the issues? I think it's about working together with the employers and with system leaders across the NHS to really change the culture to make bullying and harassment unacceptable. But I think it's also about giving staff the confidence to raise issues when they either they feel they themselves have been bullied or harassed or they witness it with um, and other, other members of staff being bullied or they really work in an environment where there is that culture that they should feel able to raise that either through their union or directly with their managers or outside of their managers because of course that can be difficult as well so it's about having um, systems in place that make it easy for staff to know where they can go in their organisation to report this. And I think it's also about training managers to be able to spot it early on and to be able to know that they can have difficult conversations with staff but to make sure it doesn't tip into something that can be perceived as bullying or harassment. Thinking a bit more about how can we create a more um, enabling culture. Uh, Christina, can you tell me something about Unison's position there and, and whether you have yourselves any specific initiatives underway at the moment? Uh, we are very involved with the ministerial group that's been set up under Ben Gummer to tackle bullying and harassment in the NHS and are working with uh, NHS employers and other colleagues to, uh, to come up with some things that can actually help any, the NHS to tackle this. So we're looking at do we, can we get agreements, can we get protocols, can we come up with a set of guidelines which are, are easy to understand but also mean that, that there's a way of monitoring what's actually happening and how it's being tackled because we know it's there but actually year on year it feels as if nothing's been done to tackle it. So I think it's about actually having a real culture change and having targets or having um, systems in place which means individual trusts can monitor what's happening. And we do live in a culture now where there is increasing accountability, increasing regulation. Do you think with that increased accountability, if that's creating further pressure on, on managers and, and leaders to hit certain targets, mm. that there may be a risk there? The flip side of that may be creating more pressure and more tendency to to bully and harass it, even if it's inadvertent. I think you're absolutely right. That in, in, in our experience, that goes to the heart of it, in actual fact. So when we ask our members 
some of the reasons why they feel they're being bullied and one of the key things that comes back from them is the whole target-driven culture and it is about the pressure on the system-wide system pressure, if you like. Um, so it's things like, um, you know, there's increased demand for services in the NHS. There's huge financial pressures at the moment in the NHS. There, there seems to be a never-ending list of targets that organisations have to meet. And uh, there's also individual managers under pressure to hit those targets. And in turn, they then put pressure on, you know, the staff below them, as it were, to help them hit the targets. And certainly when we've spoken to some of our people who work in... Um, mental health and well, mental health is slightly different but to an extent in mental health but certainly in the ambulance sector where the, the culture of bullying and harassment is quite shocking they recognise that's one of the key factors is that their managers are under increasing pressure from the system to deliver on you know the the, the targets that the response times and all you know making sure that they've hit all these targets and that puts them under intense pressure and they pass that pressure on to the staff. So everybody's under a lot of pressure from top to bottom in, in most organisations. So it's about getting the balance, isn't it? I mean, how, what more do you think can be done to get the, the balance, say, duty of candour, raising concerns so that people can feel free to speak out without fear of reprisal? Well, I don't want to get political in this, this discussion, but I think there is a massive issue around... Um, financial pressure and I think unless that pressure can be relieved and that's very much has to be driven from the top if you like um, then I, I'm not quite sure what what you can do to relieve that level of pressure at the same time I don't think you can sit back and say we can do nothing so it is about as I say trying to make sure that we've got examples of good practice and that the and the organizations realize this is a serious issue not just because it's bad in itself, but actually it impacts on uh, the way staff work, their productivity, their morale, their turnover levels, and all of that then has an impact on patients. And I think if we can get those things understood and better understood, then I think we can make some progress in this area. Um, can we move on from that to, to talk now about women in the NHS workplace? Uh, and I've read another statistic which suggests that more than half of women employed in the NHS may have experienced some form of bullying over a three-year period. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think there are any, any additional considerations um, that the unions and workforce leaders should be thinking about when it, when it comes to women? Well, the NHS isn't exempt from what happens in the rest of society. And so, although it's a very largely female workforce, when you look at... Um, management structures, it, you get the same sort of inverted pyramid as you get in most other organisations, which is the higher up the scale you go or the higher up the grading system, the fewer women you get. And so in a sense, women are more likely to be um, at the in the lower grades. So if you look at some of the bottom grades, that's very predominantly uh, female-dominated. And in a sense, and it's probably easier to bully staff. It's, and I know this isn't this isn't necessarily the only staff who get bullied, but it's probably easier to bully staff who are more junior to you in the organisation. Um, you're probably easier to bring a bit more pressure to bear on people. And so, in some sense, I'm not surprised that more women make up the group who feel they've been bullied. 
I think in terms of what we can do, it's to make sure that any of the steps that we take absolutely recognise the facts that you've, you know, the statistics yeah. you've just mentioned, Martin, and and that we're putting an, a particular emphasis on ensuring that, you know, certain ways of working, certain ways of talking, certain um, certain behaviours are perhaps felt differently or impact differently on women, and it's getting across that and making sure that any training that's put in place actually highlights that fact as well. Similarly, could we turn to unconscious bias? And there's been a lot of discussion yeah. in that in the context of race and ethnicity. Um, and Roger Klein, um, in his snowy white peaks in the NHS, and the research he's done around this area, suggests that black, Asian and minority ethnic staff are, for example, significantly more likely to face disciplinary action. Uh, and I wonder what your thoughts were on that, Christina. Yeah, I mean, the, the evidence is definitely there that um, black and minority ethnic staff are more likely to face disciplinaries. Now, there's some evidence, partly that is because managers find it difficult to have awkward conversations, perhaps, with black and minority ethnic staff. Um, and so it's if, if there's some issues around competency or behaviours that have to be dealt with, rather than have those conversations, it will escalate into something that's dealt with as a disciplinary, rather than being dealt with as just, you know, a, a normal conversation between a manager and a member of staff about something that needs to improve. And that's one of the reasons why, it's not, it's not to excuse it at all, but it's one of the reasons why that happens. Um, and if that is the case, then I think that has to be looked at in terms of um, the training that goes into to work, uh, training managers to make sure they can have those difficult and awkward conversations with black and minority ethnic staff, and indeed with, them, with anyone, but as it's a particular issue there. I think one of the keys here is to make sure that this is being monitored and that organisations are, uh, I mean, we absolutely welcome the race equality standard and what that will mean in terms of monitoring where staff are in the organisation. One of the key things that has to be monitored, we would argue, is to look at the kinds of disciplinaries and grievances that are coming through in an organisation. So um, where are they coming from? Are there particular set parts of the organisation where you tend to get more of them? What's the ethnic group, you know, what's the ethnic breakdown and the gender breakdown of those staff who are bringing forward, who are either being disciplined or who have grievances? Um, and if there is an absolute trend, then that has to be picked up by management and worked on. Well, thank you very much, Christina. Um, that's been really thought-provoking. Um, it is an incredibly difficult area and sadly um, this is an issue that shows no sign of being resolved any time soon. I hope you found Christina's contribution to this debate helpful. In my next podcast I'll be talking to Kate Ling from the EU office of the NHS Confederation about Brexit. I'll be discussing with Kate the work of the Cavendish Coalition and its health and social care priorities. It's a very wide um, coming together of providers and employers and trade unions across the health and social care system. Recruitment and retention and morale issues currently and looking to the future. We need to ensure that in future more and more we train and retain more of our own at the same time whilst continuing you know, as far as we can to attract people from elsewhere. And Kate will also be talking about the unregistered workforce from the EU, often a forgotten group. How might they be affected? What I would be more concerned about is the situation of the, if you like, lower skilled or less qualified staff. 
because we rely massively on, you know, particularly the social care workforce and also healthcare assistance. You know, there's a large proportion of people from the EU who are really the, the, the bedrock of the system. Thanks for listening.